0: right into our message this morning, and I'm so excited. But this is kind of a different message, so we're going to read a whole bunch of scripture and let the scripture tell the story. But before we do that, everyone turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 3. We're going to read the entire chapter 3. It's a story about Elisha. Now, Elijah was a prophet of God, And he was called by God to be a very prophetic man that would come in and just God used him in incredible ways. And he knew his life was nearing the end. And so he had this assistant, Elisha, that he took and mentored with him. And then God gave this double portion of Elijah's anointing onto Elisha. God had to make their names like so close. You're like always getting them messed up. That's why I'm over-enunciating them. So in this part of 2 Kings, we're seeing Elisha. Elijah has already passed away. And we're seeing a story that I want to suggest to you applies to us today. But to keep everything on the same playing field because... They write it like, if we're talking about going to here, we'd say, oh, go to George Bush, and then you go over to Dallas North Tollway, and then you go to da 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 and 500 years from now, 2,000 years from now, they're like, what was George Bush? What was Dallas North Tollway? And they got all these things that meant something to them, but today we're like, Even reading through this again, I was kind of like overwhelmed. So we're going to break this down. So the first screen, if we can see it, is we're going to look at who all the players are in this whole scenario. So we've got three good kings. We've got one bad king, all right? So Israel, at this point in time, had two different parts of it. So factions were there. So there's the 12 tribes of Israel. One of the tribes is Judah. And at this point in history, they had their own king. and He was Jehoshaphat. Then Joram was the king of the rest of Israel. So those two made up everything of Israel. Everyone with me so far? Okay. Then a neighboring... Um, city kingdom nation was Edom and they had their own king he doesn't have a name you'll see that in just a second so we've got these three kings that are all good guys all right so put them in the good column and then we have this guy down at the bottom is Misha and he is the king of Moab he's a bad guy okay he's wearing the black these guys are wearing white everybody with me okay I want to break this down so that we can follow along with the bouncing ball because it gets really complicated as we're starting to go through there it'll melt your brain. Now we're going to pick up 2 Kings chapter 3 verse 1. Ahab was the king of Israel before he died. His son is Joram. We just looked at him, okay? So Ahab's son Joram began to rule over Israel in the 18th year of King Jehoshaphat's reign in Judah. So the two kings, okay, Jehoram and Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat had already been ruling for 18 years when Jehoram came on the scene and he began to rule. Okay, So now they're both ruling all of the whole king, kingdom of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria for 12 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, this is Jehoram, but not the same extent that his father and mother. He at least tore down the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had set up. See, Ahab was a terrible king in Israel, and he followed the ways against God. So here his son comes on the scene, and he's not doing as bad as his dad did and his mother did, but he's, he's kind of like bridging the gap into the good stuff. But it says he did evil in the Lord's sight, Verse 3, nevertheless, he continued in the sins that Jeho- blah, all these names had committed and led the people of Israel to commit. So here we see that Joram, Jehoram, how are you going to say his name, he, he, God was mad at him because he, he did some good stuff. He tore some of the, the um, bad altars down. But he continued in sins that somebody else led the whole nation of Israel to commit. Okay? So you're with me? We're setting the plate here, so you understand who's on first, who's on second, and what's going on here. One, one commentary said that Jehoram took the, the warning by God of his judgment, but he put away the image of Baal. So he got rid of some of this, yet he maintained part of the worship sacrifices to the worship calves. So he, he, he only took it halfway Maybe that's a better way to put it. Verse 4. I know this is really wordy, and I know this is really complicated, so please try and stay with me. King Misha of Moab was a sheep breeder. The bad guy, remember? The guy in black. He used to pay the king of Israel an annual tribute of 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. So he had this tax that he was paying. He had this duty, this obligation to pay Israel for this, and this was part of their whole working out. So verse 6, King Joram promptly, sorry, verse 5, after Ahab's death, the king of Moab, Misha, rebelled against the king of Israel. He goes, Ahab's dead. I don't have to worry about him. I don't think his son's going to do anything, so I'm going to stop paying the taxes that I need to pay. I'm not going to pay this thing that I have been paying all these years. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm going to rebel. So King Jehoram, in verse 6, promptly mustered the army of Israel and marched from Syria. We have to understand all of this, what happened, the backstory, if you will, in the beginning to get with where we're going. So, on the way, he sent a message, verse 7, to the King Jehoshaphat of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you join me in battle against him? So here's a similar situation when we as the United States are going to battle against ISIS or any of these different things, and we say, hey, England, we're our allies. We're going to go over here, and we're going to take care of this. Are you with us? And we build our alliances with everybody, and they, yeah, hey, we're all in this together. Yes, we're with you. And they send their planes. They send their army. They send everything. This is what's going on here with the three, all right? So, verse 8, then Jehoshaphat said, What route will we take? Then Joram replied, We will attack from the wilderness of Edom. So, verse 9, the king of Edom and his Troops join them, so all three of these armies are traveling a roundabout route through the wilderness for seven days. Now, where they're going is through mountains and the valleys and all this stuff. They're coming in at the least expected way. So we have Misha over here. He's rebelling. He's like, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to follow through with the commitments that I have. So I'm going to come over and just say, I don't think you're going to do anything. They're like, we're going to come and attack you, but we're not going to come through the front door. We're coming through the back door, and we're coming in this way that you're not expecting. So we're coming through the wilderness. We're coming through some difficulties. Then the king, Edom, joined along with them because they went through there. But at the end of that scripture, in verse 9, it says, But there was no water for the men or their animals. So they get out in the middle of this wilderness with three armies, Israel, Judah, and Edom. And all of a sudden, they run out of water, and they're in the wilderness. How many of you know that is not a good day? They don't have any supply planes that are going to come in and land and give them more supplies. It becomes really desperate in verse 10. The king of Israel is the one who started this whole thing. He says, what should we do? The Lord has brought the three of us out here to let the king of Moab defeat us. Well, it was his idea in the beginning, remember? He's the one who called Jehoshaphat, and then they went to the king of Moab, and he supposedly had this big plan of what they're doing, and they get here, and he's like, now what? What? Now, here's kind of where we're starting to see it applies to us. Have you ever been in a situation like, man, I think I know exactly what's going on. I'm going to go do this thing. This is the path for my life. This is how I'm going to live. This is where I'm going to live. This is what's going to go. And all of a sudden, some things happen. And you're like, now what? This not, did not turn out like I thought. It's kind of drying up here, and there's not water for sustenance. And, and I'm getting really thirsty And I I don't know how this is going to work out. I'm going to be defeated here. Verse 11. But King Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, said, Is there no prophet of the Lord with us? Look at that word, with us. If there is, we can ask the Lord what to do through him. Now, how many of you know, they would have been a lot better off if they would asked the Lord before they started this journey... I have been in plenty of situations that I would have been better off if I had asked the Lord before I started the journey. You see where we're kind of getting our parallels in here? I want to suggest that you may have been in some situations, maybe in the situation now. You'd have been better off if you'd asked the Lord ahead of time, God, how do you want me to do this? What is your plan for this? But here he says, Is there no prophet with us? Let's inquire of the Lord. One of King Joram's officers said, Elisha, the son of Sapheth, is here. He used to be Elijah's personal assistant. Jehoshaphat said, yes, the Lord speaks through him. He had a reputation that he was the man of God at the time. So the kings of Israel, Judah and Edom, went to consult with Elisha. Now, here here I want to break this down just a second. Remember, he says, is there no prophet with us? So he's like, hey, don't we have somebody that's traveling this whole entourage of the army that that hears from God? Didn't we think enough to bring a man of God with us? They're in the middle of the desert. I don't want you to think that they just hopped on a private Learjet and they flew to where Elisha was, uh, was hanging out, okay? Elisha was with them. You see, The place that God has for you, the answer God has for you, very often is right there with you, but you don't recognize it. So as they're going these seven days' journey, here's Elisha and his little entourage. They're just going right along. His lips are sealed, not saying a word. He's not like, hey, guys, you want to hear what God has to say about this? See, God doesn't beat you over the head to tell you what he says, what he thinks, what his plan is for you. He just like, I'm following along with you. Are you going to inquire of me? (laughs) I love the story. Verse 13. I love the fact that God shows us viewpoints into other people and other people and other leaders and everything. And I have a friend who's a worship leader. He says that he thinks sarcasm should be its own font. I'm right there with him. And we see so much sarcasm in this whole thing with Elisha. Elisha says, "Now, mind you, he's been traveling with them for the seven days. Okay, he's got his little camps, They're moving and setting up tent. He's moving, setting up his tent. Get him move and go. So he's been with them the whole time." (laughs) Verse thirteen. What are you coming to me for? (laughs) Isn't that hilarious? He's like, "Why are you coming to me?" But look who he says it to—to the king of Israel. Go to your pagan prophets and ask them. Oh, yeah, the ones of your mother and your father, the ones you haven't really gotten away from. You did some of this, but you didn't do all of it. Okay, go ask them what you should do. Isn't that hilarious? He's been traveling with them, moving right along with them all along, and then they finally come to him, and he's like, like, well, I'm glad you asked. No, he's got to be sarcastic. Like, why don't you go talk to them? Because you don't need to be talking to me. Why is he there? He knew God had a plan for them. But, <laughs> this cracks me up. But Jehoram said, no, for it was the Lord who called us three kings out here. Isn't that just like us sometimes? Then we get caught in the middle of something. We don't even want to take it, it, the full blame and the full responsibility and say, you know what, I should ask God before I did this. I should have inquired of God before. He's trying to make himself like, no, we three, we all came out here. God called us out here. We just read the whole scripture, and for a reason, did you see anywhere that God called him? No, because God didn't call them. It was God's will, but he didn't call them, and they didn't inquire of him. And yet, this king is trying to maintain his dignity and maintain his rule, and that he's the great king. <laughs> no, it was the Lord who called us out here, only be defeated by the king of Moab. Then Elisha said, and he continues the sarcasm, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I wouldn't even bother with you except for my respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah. It's like, I wouldn't even be talking to you. I wouldn't have even answered your reply. I would have answered the door if it wasn't for King Jehoshaphat. Can I suggest to you that he probably wouldn't have taken his tent with them? He wouldn't have traveled with them for seven days through all this journey. I mean, here he is the prophet of God, traveling with the army, moving, going over all this treacherous stuff and uh, climbing the side of the cliff, and now they're finding themselves in the bottom of this valley, in it's a desert, and it's dry. So Elisha says, verse 15, now bring me someone who can play a harp. And while the harp was being played, the power of God came upon Elisha. He said, "'This is what the Lord says. "'This dry valley will be filled with pools of water. "'You will neither see wind nor rain,' says the Lord, "'but this valley will be filled with water. "'You will have plenty for yourselves and your cattle and your other animals.'" And this is only a simple thing for the Lord, for he will also make you victorious over the army of Moab. In the New American Standard Version, it says, this is but a slight thing in the sight of God. Like, this is nothing for God, okay? This isn't, God's not even breaking a sweat on this, but he will also give you the Moabites, into your hands. Verse 15, you will conquer the best of their towns, even their fortified ones. You will cut down all their good trees. You'll stop up all their springs, and you'll bring to ruin all their good lands with stones. The next day, at about the time when the morning sacrifice was offered, water suddenly appeared. It was flowing from the direction of Edom, and soon there was water everywhere. Remember, he said, you won't even hear it? It's not going to rain, you're not going to hear thunder, you're not going to hear wind, just nothing's going to happen, just all of a sudden water is going to appear. Another translation says, you've got to go out and dig the ditches though. That's part of the instruction the prophet gave them. Go and dig the ditches in the middle of the field. Okay, In the middle of this valley, this dry creek bed, go and dig ditches. That's in the New American Standard and the New King James. And that's one of the bigger points that I have here. It's not in this version. Go look at it if you don't believe me. I challenge you. Go check it out. At the next day, when the morning sacrifice was offered, water suddenly appeared. Verse 21. Meanwhile, the people of Moab, the bad guys... mm -mm about three armies marching heard about three armies marching against them they mobilized every man who was old enough to strap on a sword and they stash, stationed themselves along the border but when they got up moab the next morning the sun was shining across the water and it made it to appear red to the moabites so god made the the way the sun hit that water to look red to them now mind you the day before there was no water there it was a dry creek bed It hadn't rained there in forever. They didn't hear any rain either. They didn't have any wind. They didn't hear any movement of of nature that you would say, Oh, yeah, there was a storm last night. That's water. Okay? All of a sudden they know, they go out there and what yesterday was dry land, now is just covered, and it looks red to them. Verse 23. They cried out, It's blood! Those three armies have attacked and killed each other. They couldn't get along with each other, so they just killed each other. That's blood. That's all their blood that's just filling up that whole area. Let's go, and let's collect all their stuff. Let's get all the plunder. So when the Moabites arrived at the Israeli camp, the army then rushed out to them and attacked them. See, they were not coming all in this defensive way to, to fight them. They were like, they're all dead. Let's just rush in there and get their stuff. Okay, so they're not wearing all their, they didn't bring all their tools, they didn't bring all their um, weapons and all this stuff, so they run in there just to get all the stuff. Have you ever seen somebody, like when they're looting an area of town and they're just like rushing in like a mob mentality, like I'm gonna get that TV and I'm gonna get this. I'm gonna get this. This is what they're doing. Stop laughing at me. Only to be met by the army of Israel who was ready for them. And then they chased them into the land of Moab and destroyed everything as they went. And they destroyed the towns, covered the good land. They did everything that they said. I want to bring us back to verse 7, though. And I want to break this down just a little bit. Because like the story we see here, I can identify with this. So many times I start off doing something I think is all right. I don't need God. God, I got this one. I don't need you. I'm all right. Okay, you, you got all this other busy stuff, you know, help the people in Africa, help the people in the hospital. I got this one. And then halfway through it, I'm like, Jesus, I need you. This isn't working out. Verse 8. Joram asked what we should do, what way we should go. But they didn't ask for God. They didn't ask God what he said. He lied and said, God has called me, but he hadn't. It was just all drama. See, God wanted to deliver them. God wanted this whole situation to be resolved. That's why he allowed it all to happen the right way. This wasn't how he wanted them to go about it. God even overlooked where Joram wasn't living the life like God wanted He did evil in God's eyes. He clung on to some of the sins. He'd just gotten rid of some of the stuff that was bad in his life. That valley was a dry creek bed. Had they not dug the trenches, the water would have easily just rushed by them, just soaking into everything. But because God called them through the prophet to dig trenches in the ground, the water was able to pool. And they were able to get sustenance and not be consumed by the barrenness all around them. In Psalms chapter seven, verse 15, there's another instance of digging pits. It's talking about the people who were not supposed to be like. They dig a deep pit to trap others, then they fall in it themselves. I want to tell you this morning that we can dig ditches at the Word of God that's going to be sustenance. It's going to be the provision in the desert that we need. Or we can also dig ditches to trap others, and it's not going to work out very well for us. We need to create a place where there's a capacity for God. Told you this whole story. Laid it all out as best I could and trying to follow the bouncing balls with this to get right here. When they finally came to their senses, they sought out direction from God. The prophet had been with them the whole time. It's like, doom, doom, doom. How do we seek out the direction of God? Our Sunday services. It's not about church. It's not about, hey, how many people can we cram in this building? how many more services can we have that we can say, oh, look at us. It's a place to dig some ditches and to allow God to show you the direction that he has for you. When they sought out the direction of God, what was the word of God the very first thing? He goes, let's get some worship going on here. Let's create a place that we can actually hear from God. Even though Elisha was the man of God, he was the one that God used to speak all the time. He'd been traveling with them for the seven days in this journey. They didn't even recognize that he was here. It took a servant to say that, okay? Even though he was here all along, he was not like, well, God told me seven days ago what to tell you. Okay, I'm about time you ask me. He's like... Let's wait upon the Lord. Why do we have worship at the beginning of the service? So we can wait upon the Lord. So we can inquire of him, God, man, this is the first day of the new week, and what do you have for me? Lord, I need you today. I need you to help me through. Show me, do I do this direction? Do I not do this direction? Then the word of God came. And it took some action of them. They had to go dig those ditches. God's going to give you direction. Even through this message this morning, I believe God's revealing you something. You're like, oh, you know, I should have done that. I should ask God about that. Okay, God, I'm going to to circle back and I'm going to come to you now and I'm going to ask you, what do you want me to do? And when he says, do this, go do this. When we have prayer on Saturday mornings at 8 o'clock, it was so wonderful yesterday. It went an hour, almost an hour late. Then, you know, it's a one hour prayer. It was like almost two hours. We finally wrapped up and closed the door because there's so many needs. There's so much being prayed over. We have these things that I'm gonna have next week for us at the prayer time and I'll have them here for you Sunday as well. Just some things that you can fill out. My personal prayer requests, my targets, my government, who who's the president, who's my national leaders, and fill in the gaps, who's my family, my spouse, my children, my my parents, my siblings, my extended family, my church, my small groups, my all this my life, who's my employer, who's my coworkers, who's the employees, who's the teachers of professions those that influenced me, my close friends, those who need God, our list of intentionality, and then some scriptures of what to pray over all these. Just something really short. We're going to have these here for you. We'll have them also for Sunday. But this is where we can inquire of God and say, God, give me direction. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Lord, I thank you for how great you are. Lord, I thank you for the times that we forget to ask you. That even though the prophet and the man of God was sarcastic, you're not. That, Lord, you're well able to give us direction to get us back on the course that you have for us. Thank you, Lord, that you're so great. Great are you, Lord. Lord, as we hear this message this morning, Lord, for me it was a centering to bring me back to the place of realizing that I need to be at church on Sunday to be the right place to seek your direction and not do it in my own. That we need to open up with worship and we need to create an atmosphere for you to speak. And then, Lord, when you speak and you give me direction of what to do, where to go, that I'm going to do and obey your word. I'm going to obey it Sunday through Saturday. It's not something, it's just something we do for an hour. But Lord, I'm going to follow you every day. Father, I commit this word to to you. And Lord, I ask you to touch everyone that heard my voice. And Lord, I pray that you will just embed this in us. And while this isn't an exciting jumping up and down message, Lord, it's something that's really good for us. Something that helps us to stay centered and balanced. And Father, we give it all to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.